0: You are listening to the Financial Roadmap Podcast, produced by Martini at Povey Partners. We invite you to learn about the vast world of accounting and income tax services, helping you steer towards your financial future. My name is Linda Howard. Welcome to the Financial Roadmap Podcast.
1: So welcome back to the Financial Roadmap Podcast. My name is Chris Passmore. I'm your host, and I am the managing partner of Martini Partners, a CPA firm in Southern California. And today, I'm really excited about our topic. We are going to talk about how can business owners better prepare and operate for a merger and an acquisition. The times are crazy right now, and who would have thought that 2021 could be such a hot market. And that's why I'm so excited to introduce our guest, uh, John Murphy. He's the president of J.K. Murphy Advisors, also affectionately known as Murph. So, Murph, welcome to the show. Hey,
2: Chris. Delighted to be here.
1: So, for our listeners' uh, knowledge, uh, Murph and my firm have worked together for years. We have been longtime colleagues. We've worked on several transactions together. And it's been equally hot this year. So, Murph, tell us a little bit more about yourself about J.K. Murphy Advisors and how you got into helping uh, private middle market companies.
2: Well, I uh, was an investment banker for many years and decided that that wasn't what I wanted to continue to do. I looked around and didn't see like there was anybody helping middle market companies plan their growth or plan to get ready for a sale. So 17 years ago, I decided to give it a shot. And here we are. So uh, it's been a hell of a journey and a lot of fun. And I really enjoy what we do. Our goal is to help companies figure out where they want to go and then help help them get there. What objectives do they have? What kind of growth plan do they want? And in the case of companies that are thinking of selling, how can we try to improve or maximize the value uh, before they sell?
1: And why do you think that is? Why do you think you saw a gap in the middle market for help with taking those companies to a transaction or just to improve cash flow?
2: Well, 17 years ago, the middle market was, you know, not what it is today. There's a lot less, there was a lot less focus on it. I mean, you know, there was less private equity groups interested in it, everybody was interested in bigger transactions. So I think it was overlooked, frankly, overlooked by the whole MA deal community in, in lots of ways. Chris, think of the companies that you, we, we were both working with 17 years ago versus the ones that we were working with today. I think that the middle market has become the place to be, frankly.
1: And it's funny because everyone has a different definition of middle market. You talk to some companies or some service providers and middle market is 500 million. You talk to others and their definition of middle market is <laughs> 5 million. So in your area of expertise, what would you definitely, what would you define a middle market company and maybe just in terms of revenue or employees? I
2: tend to go more on revenue than employees. First of all, you hear people say middle market and now because the middle markets become so popular, you hear people say the lower middle market, right? And to me, it's all middle market. When I say middle market, I think private companies that don't have institutional shareholders, that it's either a family business or an entrepreneurial run business, and they've they've been established and they have revenue anywhere from 5 million to 200 million. To me, that's sort of the middle market. But I think of more than just revenue. To me, that designation of no institutional shareholders plays a big part in it, too.
1: It's funny. It's a great point. I have heard that myself. You have upper middle market. I guess then you would have middle, yeah. middle market. Uh, lower middle, middle market. It it is kind of funny, but yeah, it has become a bit of a hot topic. So so talk us through how you help these clients go through this process. And especially now in a virtual world, and I know things have started to open up again, but I'm still assuming there are companies that aren't fully open. Uh, What's the process like? What's the exploration, the discussion, and how do you help execute right now, considering the world we're in?
2: Our process is one where we kind of peel back the onion and get involved in the business to really understand it. We interview management teams. We attend management meetings to get a rhythm of the business. We, of course, immerse ourselves in the numbers and the industry and really try to understand what the company has to offer to the world and what its real growth opportunities are. And Is it currently uh, pursuing the best growth opportunities? So We sort of start from the bottom up, if you will. And then overlay that with what the goals the owners have, whether they want to sell today, they want to grow and sell tomorrow. They have no intention of selling. They want to make acquisitions to help supplement growth. It's not just organic growth. What capital do they need? What's the best growth opportunities, Chris? And then what's the infrastructure and resources and needs that go with those growth opportunities? And out of that falls a growth plan that makes the most sense for that particular owner at that particular time in their life cycle of the business and with the particular growth opportunities that they have.
1: And what have you seen in the past year? So if you flash back to February of 2020, life was good, bull market, M&A was hot, then obviously life changed. Did it affect the process at all? Did it change your client's uh, outlook and their strategies? Or are you finding that everyone's firing on all cylinders? And as long as you're not in one of those markets that are really struggling like restaurants, that it's full speed ahead.
2: It's a little bit all over the board, Chris. We're the setup guys. So we we help a company get ready for sale. We don't actually do the sale. The M&A world was on fire last year with the exception of April and May, and it's on fire again this year. There's so much capital to put out, and there's many companies that, in the case of last year, were afraid of taxes being higher, capital gains taxes. And in the case of this year, there's still that sentiment. But also, I think some owners are just tired, and they've been tired for a while and last year made them more tired, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. So I think our business was slow last year because everybody that was thinking of selling last year just ran for the exits just as fast as they could because they were uh, hoping to you know, beat the tax increases that may or may not happen this year. But this year, since the first of January, our business has been on fire. Lots of people thinking about the future and what they want to do with their company and the M&A business, you know, the actual selling of the businesses on fire this year too, from what I, from what I hear from people that, you know, you and I talk to all the time. COVID had a momentary dip, but lots of businesses were positively impacted by COVID. So those naturally benefited. Many were not so positively impacted, you know, hospitality, as you mentioned most notably, But everybody seems to have sort of found a way to survive. Some haven't, unfortunately. I was actually in Hawaii for a a little bit of the time last year. And the tourism is, you know, obviously decimated and been decimated in Hawaii, for example. And travel around the world was decimated, although it seems to be coming back now.
1: Yeah, it feels like in the past 12 months that there's definitely been your, your winners and your losers in some sense. You know, you've got the companies that are hospitality uh, maybe restaurants and those are really struggling, but you've got other areas like healthcare or, that are, are doing really well. And so you talked about yeah. being the setup guy and the one who's actually meeting with management to help them plan out and achieve their goals. So, what are the common types of goals that you're seeing? I know there's the obvious sale of a business, but what other types of goals are you seeing most often? I mean, raising capital. Uh, what else is there besides just a traditional sale?
2: Well, I worked with one owner that his number one goal was to sell before he was 33. Wow! Well, I tried to talk him out of it, but that was his number one goal because I felt that wasn't the right way to approach it, so to speak. I worked with one client. Their goals were to achieve liquidity, exit the business, and keep the business where it was for at least three to five years. So those were the goals that we were trying to work towards. We've worked with companies where the goal was that one owner wanted to cut back and another owner wanted to keep going and in fact, accelerate the business. And as a result, it needed a infusion of capital from somebody that wanted to take risk because the one that wanted to cut back didn't want to take as much risk anymore. Uh, That's actually a pretty common one, Chris, is whether you have multiple shareholders where you have two different levels of risk that people want to take at that point in their life and at that point in the company's life cycle and we talk about trying to improve the value of a business but the other way to improve just through cash flow the more cash flow the better margins the better position you have in the market the better management team the less concentration of revenue all is going to drive more value the other thing is going to drive more value is have perceived less execution risk in a business so that's that can sometimes be a goal too of how do we reduce the risk in this enterprise so those are all things that we've heard from people that are sometimes either together, which can create a little more complicated equation for success, and then in sometimes by themselves, uh, the goals that our owners want to pursue.
1: So Murph, you talked about appetite for risk. Is it also related to succession planning, where you might have two people in senior leadership or ownership where someone, his time horizon or her time horizon is five years So their appetite for risk is lower, but you have someone else who's ready to go another 15 to 20 years, willing to take on more risk. So is that also a big part of your process is helping with the succession planning and bridging those two timelines? I mean, essentially
2: our business is directly and directly, am I better off selling today or is there a plan that either I've got going or you can help create or refine that will create more opportunities? At an acceptable execution risk that the payoff is worth it. And essentially we're filling the blanks for our clients to help them decide which. Be- what are they better off? You know, are they off with implementing the changes that might be a, a part of how getting a company from here to there, you know, in terms of future growth? Or are they just ready to sell today and they're willing to, to acknowledge that whatever the value is today is, is okay for them? A lot of the time where our process works is as we kind of poke holes and work our way through what the growth opportunity is for the future and create answers, good answers to the questions that we ask, the execution risk becomes more acceptable to them. Sometimes it doesn't work that way, but most times it does. And then as a result, there's a growth plan that they want to put into place, we call them growth stories, that, that they want to pursue for a while before they sell. And in some cases, they never sell. They realize that they can keep being owner and maybe replace themselves as part of the CEO or the management team, but just be owner and reap the benefits of that as well. So the, the fun for us is the answer is always different because the facts and circumstances are different. So the path is always different. And that's where we really enjoy that.
1: It seems like an important part of this is discussion of timing. I know this is a crystal ball question. Is now a good time to sell because of the market?
2: Yes, it is. It's definitely a good time to sell. And yet, since January, it's now, what, uh, April 9th we have had 15 opportunities referred to as of companies that don't intend to sell this year because by definition, if we're talking to them, they're not selling this year. Most likely there's a growth path that they want to pursue for a while before they sell. So the good news is there are lots of different types of business owners with lots of different types of objectives. The one thing that I know you know, Chris, is we live in middle market heaven. We debate what the definition of middle market is, but in California, there are lots of middle market companies here because I think business owners for the most part want to live here. And the markets here are so large to sell your products to that there's just lots of businesses here.
1: Yeah. It truly is a great place. And even though there's always the constant discussion of, do we move to a more right. you know regulatory friendly state? But at the end of the day, I find more people stay than leave.
2: That discussion always ebbs and flows. And Seems to be flowing right now, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. But there's always new capital formation going on. And I used to live in Chicago, and I used to fly for an investment bank and cover nationally. And I I like to say that I can drive to an hour and a half more companies than I would have to fly three to four nights a week for, based you know, on a national basis. So, like I said, it's middle market heaven.
1: So, kind of circling back to the timing issue. So, for our audience members who actually own a business. And who may have thought about a sale, but that could be five years, 10 years down the road. Would you give them the advice to consider now because the values are higher and that maybe the risk of waiting five to 10 years would be detrimental because the values are going to go down? I mean, what would you tell the business owner who's maybe five to 10 years away that they should reconsider that maybe now is a good time? My. Two cents would
2: be two dimensions. One is that it's always a good time to check. And I would encourage business owners to have their own avenues to find out what they're worth in a realistic sense. A lot of business owners we run into, as I'm sure you do, that they have an unrealistic sense of what they're worth. The private equity world reaches out to lots of businesses, even the strategic buyers of the world reach out to businesses, and many uh, industry-focused investment bankers reach out to businesses all in the advance of creating a relationship to have it build a transaction on. And I would encourage owners to do some of that, just to find out how they talk, what the questions they ask, what they think, um, and establish rapport, because one day they probably will sell their business. So I encourage people to do that, and it certainly is a good time to do. Selling your business is not just about numbers. It's also about what are you going to do with your life? Is there a different phase that you want to enter or not? And one of the things that we also do as part of our work is what are you going to do next? It's something that if they haven't thought about it, they should, because it's the qualitative side, if you will, of thinking about selling. And I have stories that worked out really well for business owners at 7.30 the morning after the, they sold their business and weren't involved. And I have stories where it didn't work out so well. And the difference between the two is planning. Is thinking about what you're really going to do. So it's not just economics. There are other things involved and in the case of family businesses, succession. Do I have the team take over in the family or don't I? The big issues that we tend to get involved with are growth, strategy, performance, and how that leads to value, succession, which is execution and management, risk, and liquidity. And so our clients are asking us for our thoughts on some or all of those issues. So succession and what you're going to do the next morning at 7 30 are also issues that factor into it. So it's not always just about the money. The money right now for the right business, the multiples is as high as they've ever been and from what I can tell. And think about it too, Chris, the public market's at an all-time high now and the, the private markets draft off the public market. Yes, it went down a lot last year, but it's come back and it's, it's at all-time high. So that bodes well too.
1: So in the middle market, where are you seeing companies are like the most prepared? Is it in the financial side? Is it in the the personnel side? And where are they really struggling? Where is the one common thing that you see at most of your clients that you know that this is going to be a challenge and you need to make sure that you talk about it because you see it all the time? Well,
2: as you well know through your work, the invasiveness of a sale process falls on finance and so that's the first place we check that's probably the first place you check and that's who you work with as well when you do your uh, transaction advisory work i know because you and i've worked together a a few times so that's an important place and it's often the case that it needs to be supplemented just because through no disrespect they haven't worked on a lot of transactions and the one advantage that you and i and a great investment banker and a great transaction team can can help clients with is to, to give them an idea of what's coming, what's going to happen ahead of us, because for those that haven't been through the process, as you know, it's very invasive, especially for finance. So finance is an awfully key area. The other place that we look is how do the companies make the decisions? Is there a delegation model? Does the CEO slash owner delegate or is it all, nobody has any decision-making authority? Uh, we worked with one client where it was a pretty large middle market company. The owner signed every check below five, uh, above $5,000. The philosophy that that engendered suggested that there was a line outside his front door every morning for questions that people had. There wasn't very much delegation going on. And one of our big suggestions was we need to change that. Because in order to continue to grow a business, you've, you can't do it all from one place. So decision-making and sort of management team and how the structure is set up is another key area that we focus on. My business partner, Jack Haney, who you, you know is a master black belt in Lean and Six Sigma, which of course means he's way smarter than any of us kind of put <laughs> together. He's, he, he can improve, nothing personal to you, but just more directed at me. Um, he can improve the process, whether it's a manufacturing process or a service business or a retail business. So he looks at the operations, and oftentimes there's a way that we can improve the operations. Most of the middle companies in general don't have direct access to his background, his training. So operations is another key area, and then I'd say that the fourth area is just a an, an analysis of. So what does the company produce? Where does it sell it? What are its core competencies? And is it matched up against the best growth opportunities as a result of who they are and what they offer to the world? Uh, we suggestions in in the last three or four years of suggesting clients get out of one market and go to another market, get out of the, a different market, go back. So you know we've had worked with e-commerce companies where we've suggested they build a wholesale business. We made suggestions to companies that had some wholesale business and direct to consumer get out of the wholesale business and and um, focus 100 on direct to consumer. And in both cases, I would respectfully submit that they ended up with better businesses. So it just depends on the circumstances and. Again, that, that's the fun for us too, is that all the facts and circumstances are different in every case. So the recommendations are different in every case. And hopefully the, the result is the same, a better performing business. But we love what we do. We get a lot of fulfillment from it. And it's, it's so much fun helping.
1: And I have to ask, you brought up the example of the upper middle market company where the owner signed all the checks over 5,000. What was that person's answer to the question of, what are you going to do the day after? Did he have or did she have something or or was it play golf six days a week?
2: I think the answer was that the money came so big that it, it didn't matter as much as I said otherwise before. But everybody has their own set of objectives and their own sort of bogeys where things work and where things don't work. And in that case, the business improved and the market improved so much that it was just an incredibly successful outcome.
1: So the liquidity event could basically make it so that person could do whatever the heck they want is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Can you just give us an example of maybe like your best storyline where you were got involved with a client and maybe they had all the right people in place, a wonderful product. It went to market and just hit it out of the park. Can you give us a, a high level example of what went well about that transaction that made it such a success?
2: All right. I, I have two. I worked with a company a few years back where it had four business segments. So the conclusion was everybody in the industry was set up differently than they were. And I thought that the businesses up and to sell them to the people who would want most uh, to maximize the value. That took 10 years, eight, nine or 10 years, because it's complicated interwining and, and different segments and different cycles of the business for the four segments and so forth. They, they found us because they were se- thinking of selling the business as a whole, and they made a lot more money than they would have if they'd sold the business as a whole, which fortunately they didn't before they found us. So in that case, you know, it was it was a lot more, it was a few other things. But it was mostly the idea that we had to split the companies up in order to maximize the value. Oh, wow. Okay. The second one is more recent. It was two years ago. We worked with an e-commerce company. It was one of the ones that i mentioned here. And our suggestion was that they get out of their wholesale business and just double down on their direct-to-consumer business. And we create milestones of things we need to accomplish in order to affect that. And it resulted in more than doubling the value of the company in a relatively short period of time. And they'd thought about the issue and thought about it before. So it wasn't a new issue. It wasn't a new idea to them. But I think what we helped with is analyzing it and making sure that we'd poked enough holes in it that I, I think that was truly the case where the execution risk became manageable enough to, to go for the outcome, which was to improve the value because our margins improved because we weren't giving away a 50% discount to, to the wholesale side of the world, especially the other online retailers that they were selling to. And they had a really strong management team and ownership group. So it was simply, a it was more of a strategy change than anything else there. Yeah, that was the last company that, that we worked with that sold and it, it had a great outcome. We're blessed. I mean, how many great clients do you work with? We're really blessed.
1: The, the middle market is, is definitely full of opportunity And especially helping them through a transaction, you get to help them through a significant life event and to be able to be a part of that process and help them talk through their strategy and what they're gonna do afterwards is, is very meaningful. And I know how you can develop strong relationships through that process.
2: It's very fulfilling to help people reach their objectives and know where you've made a difference. You know, if we both called on IBM and did whatever we did for IBM, if anything's bad about IBM, But it would be hard to see the connection like we are able to see the connection with the businesses that we work with, where we fit in. So it's very satisfying.
1: Yeah, the ability to impact change definitely resonates with me. It's actually one of the reasons why I left working for a big four accounting firm, because the clients that I worked with at the time, I was there to fulfill a need not to give advice versus the middle market. You can really impact change and and help people that I, I definitely appreciate. That's a very rewarding place to be. So We've talked about a number of things so far. It's uh, strategic planning, uh, whether you're right in the right vertical, whether you need to focus on one area that's more profitable. We've talked about thinking about post-transaction, but w- what's your one go-to tip when you meet a prospective client or you get engaged? What would be your one go-to tip that our listeners would be most interested in based on your years of experience, where would you say, if you're going to do one thing, put your time here?
2: Again, I can never boil things down to one. So sorry about that. So sort of two versions of that answer. The first one is, I've been hanging around the hoop in the financial world for 35 years. And I've seen more value created with focus, hiring and keeping great people and conviction about where you're going. And so I would suggest that before you sell, if you can have those three things, I think that uh, you're going to be far better off than if you don't. And I wouldn't sell your business unless you felt like you had conviction about where you're going because it will show up in the process and people will figure it out. As the one thing some owners don't realize is the people are on the other side are professional buyers. That's all they do. Whether it's private equity professionals or it's uh, business development from strategic buyers, all they do all day long is buy companies. And so they, they're they pretty good at it. <laughs> where yeah. They wouldn't be where they are. So I I those are three things that I would... Uh, suggest and then one sort of additional layering in is when people ask us like what's a good client for us. The right answer is for us is people they're open they're open to the idea that the change can help them and that we might be the either the second layer of change. A lot of companies we work with already started changing which we love and then we can come in on top of that. But being open to change your business model your management team whatever it is because what usually gets you to one level doesn't get you to the next. And if I could say one thing about business owners, I've seen more value created with business owners that are open. So, yeah.
1: Well, that's great advice. I mean, talking about conviction and strategy and strategic intent for the company and then being open to advice from people who have been through this process can be, be very meaningful. So that's, that's, that's a great one tip. I'll call it three tips, but I think you bundled that in one. So that that counts as a one yeah. takeaway. Yeah. So, hey, so where can our listeners find you if they potentially have a business and they're thinking about going to market or just need help with growth and strategic planning? Where can they find you and how can they get a hold of you?
2: Well, we're on, we have a website, jkmurphyadvisors.com. We're on LinkedIn, John, John K. Murphy. Our new website is going to be up in like a week. So it's like we're literally, I know people always say that, but it's actually true in this case. And, um, and uh, Murphy at jkmurphyadvisors.com is email.
1: Well, Murph, thanks so much for participating in the podcast. Just to share on a personal side, even though you are a Packers fan and I'm a <laughs> diehard Bears fan, I had, I had apprehensions on how this would, would go. But overall, we got past that you know, difference of opinion in football. And I think we had a great talk and yeah. I really appreciate your time today.
2: This has been awesome today. Thank
1: you. To our audience, thank yeah. you again for listening to the Financial Roadmap podcast. And we'll speak to you again.
0: Hi, Roadmappers. Did you enjoy today's episode? Be sure to follow the podcast and download our content in the app you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our socials listed in the show notes. Search for Martini at Povey Partners. Thank you for listening. Whether you are an individual, a business owner or a financial professional, we know that the need for quality financial services and strategies has never been more important. That's why we have spent years building the expertise, experienced staff and systems found in much larger accounting firms. We also know that accounting is more than running numbers and producing tax returns. It is about providing personal counsel. That only happens when you are small enough to work closely with each client to understand their lives, businesses, needs and goals. With that understanding and our unique team approach to problem solving, being big enough and small enough has allowed us to become one of the leading CPA and business consulting firms in Southern California. For further consultation, send an email to info at martinicpas.com. Also, are you interested in building a career in the MAP squad? Email your cover letter and resume to careers at martinicpas.com.